0: Season sports fan teams up with a millennial. Opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week. In athletics, the college football national championship teams have been decided. We're a week away from deciding who makes the NFL playoffs. The NBA regular season continues to have its drama and scoring rates that we've rarely seen before in the National Basketball Association. And a Happy New Year to you. Before we get into a more somber discussion, which thankfully is heading toward a happier ending... Happy new year and happy new year to all our listeners as well.
1: We hope everybody had a great Christmas and a wonderful new year with their families and it is healthy. Uh, all the best to everybody for 2023. And thanks for being with us. We love having you listen. Uh, we're not going anywhere. And hopefully uh, the news that we got today uh, is going to continue to improve and bring everybody's spirits up for the new year. And I'll let you take it from there.
0: Thankfully, In speaking about DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety that collapsed on the field on Monday Night Football in front of millions of viewers, this was a heavily touted game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals on seemingly every ESPN platform available. ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, ESPN Deportes, everybody was watching this game and it lived up to the billing from when the schedule was released, this was supposed to be one of the games of the season, and both teams came into it with resumes that had it as that. Packed crowd, incredible environment, and then one of the most catastrophic events that we've seen in sports history, especially in the National Football League, where Debar Hamlin collapses onto the field after a tackle, And immediately, team personnel, trainers, first responders run out into the field. But from what you could see from the players and those around, this wasn't an ordinary concussion or something where in a couple minutes, he'll either walk off on his own or be carted away and give the thumbs up to the crowd and everything will be fine. Much more severe than that. Silence in the crowd the broadcast crew, not really sure what to do because you could tell the severity of the moment. And this wasn't something that was just going to go away quickly. He ends up going in a cardiac arrest. Thankfully the training staff from the bills, from the bangles right on scene as quick as possible to perform CPR, to use an AED, to do whatever they can to keep his heartbeat going or to come back. He was resuscitated on the field He was rushed to the hospital and then the sports world just kind of came to a halt on Monday night and broadcast crews across the country, but more nationally, ESPN were forced with time to fill. And what do you talk about? The game really didn't have any storylines yet. Seven to three first quarter. Not much to talk about there. Not worth talking about because the story was about Tamar Hamlin's life. So where do you go? You talk to Scott Van Pelt. You talk to Ryan Clark. You try to make sense of the situation the best you can, but you're afforded so much time to have to do so. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the broadcast can only say so much from what they saw. Lisa Salters on the field can only say so much from what she saw. But for the situation that everyone was put in in that moment, I thought they handled it as brilliantly as you can for something that you can go to school for, for your whole life and prepare for your whole life. And in a moment like that, you can't prepare for anything from what we saw on Monday night. Thankfully, though, as days progressed and everyone seemingly has been waiting on bated breath for news, more positive things have continued to come out from the situation and the rec- incredible reporting by some of the people still on the boots on the ground At these places. Coley Harvey has done an absolutely tremendous job with ESPN keeping everybody abreast of the situation. I don't think he slept in four days. But we have information slowly coming out from the family, released by the Buffalo Bills. The medical personnel at the hospital did a press conference today to give more information. But from the latest, is that Damar Hamlin is now able to communicate through writing and ask the doctors who won the game on Monday night. They answered to him, yes, DeMar, you won. You won the game of your life. He's progressing. He still needs help to breathe. That's going to be one of the next things to get over. But all the news is, per the physicians, there's been improvements over the last day. And while he's still critically ill, he's demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal. He's making steady progress. He can move his hands and feet. And things are slowly but surely at least moving in a direction that's a lot less dire than it was on Monday night into the sports world. So a lot to get into on the story, how it was handled, what the NFL has decided to do, but Al's been watching football for a long time. There's only been one other instance of a player actually dying on the field. The only instance of it happening, 1971, Charles Hughes of the Detroit Lions. I know there was a lot of people saying We've never seen anything like this before. Well, it's happened. It just obviously wasn't broadcast to the state that games are now back in 1971. But unfortunately, this wasn't the first instance. And fortunately, it didn't end that way for DeMar. But this is something that's so rare. And obviously now with so many eyes on football, this wasn't something that people have seen before. It's a
1: different world.
0: It's a different world now.
1: It's a different world on all fronts. Uh, First of all, before we get to that, and I, I think it has to be said again, the spectacular and heroic job that was done by all of the professionals, all of the doctors, the trainers, everybody that was there for this circumstance, who trained for this circumstance, who ready themselves for this emergency, whose job it is to do exactly what they did, bring him back to life, hopefully save what will be a very long life, all did their jobs to an absolutely spectacular fashion. This kid was uh, obviously in incredibly serious condition. His heart stopped. And you could see from the players that it was incredibly serious, we didn't see much of anything because of the way they circled uh, around him. And obviously the doctors and the trainers and the emergency personnel were hovered around him and doing their work. And as you said, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were basically you know, in the dark. There's not much they could tell us. And they kept taking breaks and then we'd go to ESPN and They really couldn't tell us much. I thought Lisa Salters did a fabulous job on the field because she was the one who was the closest to what was going on uh, and could see and hear and get the best feel for it. And you could see how she was moved and trying to keep her composure. Uh, But I thought that she was brilliant. And it's just all the talk and the criticism and the second-guessers of the NFL. just don't realize, I think, you know, how unique the circumstances were. This has happened once. It happened when I was 13 years old in 1971. And the player was Chuck Hughes. It's number 85 with the Detroit Lions. It happened in a, and remember, you know, all games are nationally, all, all games are televised. But this was a regional broadcast. It was the Bears and the Lions. It was early in the season. It was late in the game. With a couple of minutes to go, a little over a minute to go, he made a catch, took a hard hit, went back to the huddle, and a couple of plays later, uh, not enough, not after that play, but a couple of plays later, he collapsed in front of Dick Butkus, the legendary Hall of Fame linebacker, who immediately started waving his arms when he saw that Hughes was in dire straits. Uh, he was, you know down on the field his helmet went sideways the medical personnel got out there they did their best to resuscitate him and got him into an ambulance but the only thing we saw you know there were not highlight shows and I don't even remember if Howard Cosell the legendary Howard Cosell who did the halftime highlights because Monday Night Football was in effect it had started as the prior year in 1970 I don't even recall Howard Cosell I'm not saying he didn't But I don't recall it being part of the halftime highlights. I'm sure much was said about it. But all you saw next morning in in your sports section on the front page was the, the photograph of Chuck Hughes on the stretcher. His number 85 jersey, no highlights. The only people who saw that game were where it was broadcast regionally. There was no national coverage of that particular game. It wasn't a national doubleheader. To the best of my recollection, we had no red zone. We had no constant highlights. At the end of the day, if you were lucky, you would go to Bruce Roberts in Chicago after the four o'clock game and get highlights. He was standing up with his clipboard going through the games and you get highlights behind him. That was the NFL postgame show. That was before Brenton, Phyllis, and Irv and the NFL today. This is 1971. And they finished the game. It's there's only a couple minutes left, remember, but it's a different world now. It's a different world in terms of the way we think about the players, it's a different world in terms of the way the players think of themselves. You know, players at the end, we, we, we now say, Boy, they, 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 as soon as the game's over, boy, they go hug each other. Nowadays, there is so much more camaraderie and brotherhood amongst. All players, but I think more than anywhere else in the NFL, because yes, the game was violent, and yes, the game was physical, and yes, the game was dangerous 50 years ago. But it's even more so now, even though there are more protections, because they are playing at an even higher rate of speed, the players are bigger and faster and stronger than they have ever been. They are playing at a more athletic level, which are resulting in collisions that are much more, in my mind, dangerous because of the speed and the distance and some of the rules, which have created more distance. And the more distance that's created requires more ground to be covered. And the more ground that has to be covered means more speed is necessary. The further you are from a guy, in my mind, results in a higher speed collision because you have to go to a higher speed to get to them. And there is more space in today's game, as everybody knows. It is, regardless of the good old days and uh, you know, rub some dirt in it and playing hurt, I believe watching the game for close to 55 years, it is a more dangerous game because of the size and speed athleticism of the players and the potential for violent collisions, even though there have been rule changes and so many more protections built in with equipment. But this is what we fear. And this is what the players fear, not when they're on the field, but this is their worst fear. And what you saw in this game was a perfect example of the brotherhood of the players, of the way they all could not really come to grips with what they were watching versus finishing a game in 5, 10, 15 minutes, an hour, a coach saying, I got to be with my player. There was never even a thought from these players in my mind from what I saw that this game was going to continue, regardless of what anybody else thought. And that would simply not have been the case 50 years ago. The attitude amongst the players is so much different now towards each other. They're not enemies. As soon As that final gun goes off, you see the handshakes and the hugs and the circled kneels to thank a higher power for getting through this game okay. And you hear them talk about it. We're all in the same boat. We're all brothers. Doesn't matter if we're teammates. And that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest difference of the NFL now, and maybe probably sports in general, in terms of professional sports, and even college sports, but certainly on the pro level. Uh, they think of all of themselves as a group versus, uh, yeah, there are some pretty nasty rivalries. You know, my team, the Ravens and the Steelers, are a perfect example. That's a fierce rivalry. But at the end of the day, they still have those same hugs when those helmets are off and they're still down on one knee in circles holding hands. You see that all the time. They understand the violent nature of the game. They understand the risk. They take it. They're willing to do it for a game that they love to play and to earn potentially a great livelihood for however long it may, may be in their profession, pretty short. But the point is they know what they're in for and they know when they get through it. Okay. There's a lot to be grateful for because it's a huge risk and you see it more and more and more with each passing game. And it was not more evident than what we saw on Monday night. And uh, the fact that this kid is showing great signs of improvement is a breath of fresh air for everybody. It makes everybody feel better because literally he had the whole world watching, not just the sports world, but the whole world was watching and hoping and praying from every corner. And, you know, I talked to Chris Russo today and I told him, look, you know, I'm from upstate New York, born and raised in Rochester. I'm an upstater. It's 90 miles down the road from Buffalo. Buffalo. I spent half my life there. We're a hearty bunch. Those people have been through a lot. They had one of the worst snowstorms, if not the worst snowstorm in the history of, of the city, lost a lot of lives, and they come fighting back. And those people were out there at that stadium praying for this kid. And everywhere you look, the support's coming in for his GoFundMe foundation. You know, It just goes to show you that... Yeah, there's a hell of a lot more assholes in this world than there are asses, like my father taught me a long time ago. But despite all the fighting that goes on and that we can't elect a Speaker of the House in 11 tries and people fight over everything, there are still things that we can come together over and there are still things that show there's a hell of a lot more good people out there than there are bad. Yeah, there's a lot of of dirtbags. There's a lot of scumbags. But when you count them up, the yeas have got it over the nays. And... This is an example of that what sports brought out, and so far so good in terms of his recovery. Everybody's hoping for him. Everybody's rooting for him. Everybody's praying for him. And uh, you know, this game became an afterthought. Those who are so bent up on playing this one game to determine standings and seedings, you know, we we played a shortened season because of COVID in baseball, and everything was neutral fields, and we got through it. You know, People forget 50 years ago, the undefeated Miami Dolphins, because of the system, not because of anything unusual, just because of the system. The 1972 undefeated Miami Dolphins, who obviously had the best record in football, played their second playoff game against the immaculate reception victorious Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. They didn't have home field advantage. Because the rules back then didn't result in the team with the best record having the home field advantage. It's not the end of the world. Right? Deal with it. The NFL, which we'll discuss in a bit, is coming up with possibilities and how they're going to deal with it. It's one game. And the Buffalo Bills, according to Vic Carlucci today, had no interest in replaying that game. And that should be the most important element of it. If the Bills don't care all right, about the issue of playing that game to possibly be the one seat to have home field throughout, then it's good enough for me that that game didn't have to be played.
0: Agreed. I don't know why you wouldn't want to distance yourself as far away as possible from that game. Suiting back up in the uniform, having to go out and see the Bengals again with everything fresh in your mind, that being your first game back on the field after what happened. No, thanks. After they, potentially had to pull a space jam and say, we're not going out there to play when some of the only information we were able to get on Monday night, as sparse as it was about what do they do now? What discussions is the NFL having about to cancel this game immediately? Are they going to have them come back out? We heard that there were discussions and this happens with injury. So to not know the severity necessarily of the injury to DeMar the protocol usually is once the player gets taken off the field, it's usually you got five minutes to kind of warm up and get back at it. I mean, as cruel as that is to say, that's just kind of how it usually is. And that's what we heard was the discussion for this scenario too, because it's never happened before. I mean, what else are they supposed to say? So we see Stefan Diggs on the sideline trying to get his guys going like Ray Lewis style amp them back up, pull them back into the game. Cause you can't have that on your mind. If you're going to play football as cruel as that is to say, but it didn't work this time. Players weren't interested. And I don't know if it was the players that made it clear to the coach or the coaches just had the sense to come together and say, or if it was both and we're not playing this game.
1: If you looked at Sean McDermott's face and even Josh Taylor's face throughout the scenario, Early on, you could tell that they were seriously concerned, and it, it looked to me like the last thing on their minds was, you know, we have to get ready to go back out and play. They were in, con, you know, in, in constant communication. Uh, you know, McDermott got in the middle of his team. is down on one knee with him. Taylor was. In the midst of the entire scenario as well, you know, talking to McDermott because obviously it's something that involved both teams. They were both on the field for it. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, not everybody knows this particular player, but you know that there are guys on the Bengals that know him. There have to be uh, because you know, guys know each other throughout the league whether they're playing each other in college uh, as teammates or as opposition, uh, high school camps, etc. So there's a much greater fin- another thing that's changed from you know all those years ago, much more familiarity, which I think also breeds that bond. These guys know each other for a much longer period of time, and the opportunity to know and be friends with a particular player is there for a much longer period of time than it was years ago, because you meet much earlier. You meet at you know camps at an early age. You meet on uh, you know, all-star trips. Uh, you meet when you make you know trips to visit schools. You meet in all-star games. Uh, high schools play all over the country now. So the opportunity to be familiar with you know a, a guy who you otherwise years ago wouldn't know until he was either a college teammate or a pro teammate is much greater, and thus it creates the, the chance to have more knowledge and understanding of a guy and be friends with a guy and build a bond with him. So you saw that both teams, you know, the Bengals, obviously, you know, their leader, Joe Burrow, obviously concerned he and you know, Josh Allen with each other pretty much the entire time, you know, talking, uh, you know, consoling each other. And it was really the same kind of scenario you saw between the coaches who I thought showed that that's why they're leaders, both, both guys for both teams. That's why that guy's the coach. That's why that guy's the quarterback. That's why that, as the coach, he leads the team. That's why most guys look to the quarterback as the leader of the team, and both of these guys are for their teams. There's no doubt about that, and they showed it the other night.
0: And of course, the the NFL denied that that five minute warm up call conversation happened. Troy Vincent came out and said that that never happened, and of course, the fans find it hard to believe the NFL for things because of their track record. So we'll never actually know what's being said on the phone. I,
1: I don't care. I think yeah. that's too many people making noise about something that is just, you know, of, of no force and effect and had no impact on this situation at all. And I don't want to use, I hate to use the term because it's so often used today, a fluid situation. No, it wasn't a fluid. This was an emergency situation. And it, you know, you you just, you, 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 one step at a time. Right. You know, you, you, there's no set way, there's no set way to roll on this.
0: One. We don't know what goes into having to cancel an NFL game. Like, who needs to be told about it? What needs to shut down? How do you get all the fans out safely? I'm not like offended that it took them close to an hour to finally make the decision because I don't know what goes into a decision like that. Obviously well, you see it well, happen. An we're at home. We think, well, they can't play this game. Okay. Of course. But how do you yeah, make you, that decision? I don't know.
1: There, and, and there are circumstances to, to deal with this situation under a different fact pattern. We've got weather, all right? We've got an issue with, you know, lightning. We're going to delay the game. We've got an issue with a storm. We need to vacate the stadium. We've seen those type of situations before. We've got a we've got an issue with uh, the structure where it might be at risk. Uh, so we've got to vacate the stadium. We've got scenarios of you know bomb threats. We've got to vacate the stadium. We've got an earthquake. We got to vacate the stadium. Different sport. We've seen it. World Series, All right? Um, in that case, nobody go anywhere. The Best place to be is right here. Uh, you know, COVID. We we've seen plenty of scenarios, but we haven't seen one where a game had to be stopped because of players. And again, we're talking about a life and death scenario, uh, and not a player who was revived on the field not a player who we were waiting to see as as difficult as it may think about movement, the thumbs up, our concern about paralysis. Here we had no idea because again, you know, we just saw, and I'm not going to call it an innocuous play because to me, none of these plays are innocuous. All right. I get hit like that. (laughs) I'm never getting up, but it looked like a normal play. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's hit flush in the heart area with a helmet uh, through no fault of anybody's. Simply, you know, T. Higgins, you know, running with the ball and the kid trying to tackle him and resulting in that collision. Not a head down, not helmet to helmet, not the kind of play that has got any reason to be legislated out of the game. But not something that when we saw it, oh, yeah, that must be what happened. No idea. Except this kid's not getting up. Maybe he's not moving. So let everybody do their job. We'll figure out what we're gonna do when the time comes to figure out what we're gonna do. Play it by ear and make it up as you go along. And that's fine by me. Just take care of the kid. and we'll worry about everything else later. And that's all that matters. And that's what the NFL did. And as you know, from listening to me for forever, nobody's more critical of the NFL than yours truly. All they care about are dollar signs. In this instance, dollar signs played no role. All that mattered was taking care of this kid. And that was first, it was foremost, everything else. It wasn't even secondary or tertiary, nothing else mattered. That's the way it was treated. Kudos to everybody involved because it was a spectacular job by everybody everybody and taking care of this kid when his life was literally on the line. Nothing else mattered.
0: And the trainers, the doctors, the first responders, everybody on the scene that helped save his life, the assistant athletic trainer for the Bills, Denny Kellington, was the one that provided the immediate care and had to administer CPR. I mean you can practice all that stuff as much as you want. You can get CPR recertified year after year. You can go through your classes when that actually is happening. There's no amount of practice for that because your body just goes in a complete shock and adrenaline hits. And you're just, you're almost in a sense like an athlete where you're not thinking or hearing anything going around you. It's just the training that you've done for all these years having to be put into practice, but it's not like this is something that they've done hundreds of times. This is the first for so many people and the way that they handled it, they, they can't get enough credit for everything that was done. And and however they were able to save a life. And the producer in me that night is sitting there thinking, how is ESPN going to handle this? Because we mentioned before, the spectacle of this game and and how many eyes were going to be on it. The Manning cast was happening. It's on national cable on ABC. And now you have this situation where you become a news network instead of a sports network. So how long do you report on this story? Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Clark, I thought were phenomenal in the moment. Susie Colbert and, and uh, Susie Colbert and, Booger, and I didn't need Adam Schefter Schefter at the table, but he was there. Did a great job at the desk, not having any information for what's going on. They're watching it on TV like everybody else, and they're put in a position to just have to fill time. But hearing what Ryan Clark had to say because of the situation he went through in his playing career where he almost died, couldn't go to Denver because of his health condition, and being a player and what it's like maybe in a situation similar to that, I thought was great person to have on. I don't think you could have had a better voice. And Joe Buck and Troy Aikman did their best, pissing away through all the commercials seemingly that they had available. I don't know if people realize, but on the radio broadcast, for example, you don't have the luxury to just constantly throw to break. Like There's not as many commercials on radio as there is on TV. So there's times when there's weather delays Some of these crews are on for an hour straight before they can come back to these games. They can't just constantly be throwing to to a different commercial every couple minutes. I have no idea what they were talking about for that time, who they were talking to, because who do you talk to? We're all in the same boat. We don't know what's happening. We all have the same information, basically. You're just trying to fill time. And it was interesting to see how long they would decide to stay with this story to fill time once you started getting to the point of being a little bit repetitive. And that, that happens when there's only so much to say, you know, we had to wake Stephen a Smith up from his sleep to come on and talk for a couple minutes to fill some, some void, get his perspective. Then Scott went off the air after I think three straight hours he was on. Then more coverage came on after that. But sports also happened that night. So what do you do? I think it took probably to about 12.30, 1 a.m. Eastern time before SportsCenter started kind of getting back into its swing of, well, here's what happened throughout sports, and we're going to keep you as updated as we can on the situation, but not make that the main story. I thought it was very interesting to just see how that side of things was handled for the, both the broadcast and then what happened afterward, because this is in a situation that we have happened in the sports world,
1: in the news world. And I thought some handled it better than others. I'm not going to be critical because it was, you know, obviously a unique circumstance and they were you know, in, in a very difficult position in terms of, you know, what to say, how to deal with it, so much time to fill and so little information that they had to work with, which was the most difficult part to me in the entire aspect of the coverage is they had nothing to work with. They could, they could give you no, there was no information to report, nothing. All they could keep telling you was, obviously, it was seriously injured. If they showed the replays you know, and you don't want to see it turn away, uh, it wasn't that graphic um, to begin with. But you don't want to see it uh, you know, turn away or not show it uh, and continually describing the concern, For the player and obviously his family, and some more than others in terms of having first hand knowledge, like Booger McFarland, who played, you know, obviously uh, NCAA, NFL, LSU, Tampa, World Champ, who said he had never gone through anything like that, never experienced anything like that, and Susie Colbert and Schefter. And then, you know, obviously to me, the most compelling aspect of it in terms of commentary was from Ryan Clark, who had very very serious slash life threatening injuries uh, when he was with the Steelers and wound up in the hospital. And you know, talking to us about his discussions and conversations with Mike Tomlin, who again comes out looking like a hero even though he wasn't involved in the game, everybody's favorite coach. Uh, but and Buck and Aikman did what they could, did what they could, and they had very little to work with. And they really couldn't inform us of much. They basically kept throwing it back to the studio because there's only so much you can do in, in, you know, with no game to cover and nothing going on in front of you. It's not like they're reporting on, you know, weather. They're not reporting on the, the weather changing. They're not reporting on the weather clearing. They're not reporting on an incident of, uh, you know, an intruder or, you know, potential issues for safety that had to be cleared away and the game would resume. They were just, you know, for lack of a better, they were lost. They they were lost at sea. You you can't even say,
0: well, when the game resumes, this is where we'll be. And this is what's happening. You you can't talk about the game. The game doesn't matter. So that that whole narrative has gone.
1: Right. And and you know, is that the time to discuss the implications on the standings? No. So they really had nothing at all to work with. They were a lo- They were a broadcast team that was lost at sea. Yeah. And and they did the best that they could uh, under some pretty, you know, I would say,
0: unique circumstances. Lisa Salters incredible on the sidelines for when they went to her, and then the Bengals and Bills reporters from ESPN who were at the game having to collect themselves and get live throw-ins to them, then Coley Harvey heading to the hospital, standing outside, giving reports from there. He's still there at the hospital. I mean, there's, there's things that were done on the sports media side that should be taught in classrooms for how good some of this reporting has been throughout these last couple of days. Incredible stuff with, with very little information to gather to be able to get it to the masses. I mean, Coley Harvey discovered the Yankees. You're sitting there talking to Aaron Boone a couple of years ago, and now you're standing outside of a hospital, hoping that somebody's going to give you some information that that can help us get some more clarity and closure on what's going on with the whole situation with Demar. And and and
1: and, and getting, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the one who got access for. The Bills player, was it not? Correct. Stefan
0: Diggs, who was Diggs, Diggs, Diggs incredibly emotional in, during the
1: game, went to the Diggs, hospital, and
0: they were like, we're not letting anybody in. And,
1: and Diggs, and he's like, you know, I mean, I don't, don't want to be big, the.
0: do you know who I am? But Diggs but he's didn't like, have any
1: cameras following him. No, he just Diggs went. Didn't make sure. Diggs just says, I'm, I'm going to be with I my think guy. He, I
0: think he took an Uber, actually, to get there. He did.
1: You know, Stefan Diggs took an Uber, and he couldn't get in because they weren't letting anybody in. And the ESPN reporter... Told the security, you know, this is Stefan Diggs' place, and he got him in. Um, so it was, uh, it was a circumstance, obviously, you know, the likes of which we haven't seen, and hopefully, quite hopefully, we won't see again. No, and, pl- and outpouring. You mentioned
0: it. The outpouring plenty that's years. come in, seven and a half million so far raised for his toys charity. We know that Bill's fans are some of the most charitable in the NFL. They'll give to charities for you winning a game, losing a game. It doesn't matter if it benefits them or not. They're some of the most generous fan bases and it's no surprise that they've contributed. And so too has the entire sports world really,
1: but all over the country, all over the world. But as I said to you earlier, Western New Yorkers are a hearty bunch. Yeah. They live through some tough stuff. They live through tough weather. They are devoted, they are loyal, and you know they're used to dealing with adversity, and they just dealt with it in that terrible storm, and now they're dealing with more. It, just when you thought they were out of it, this happens to one of their guys, one of their own, to their team, but I don't think they're going to lose too much sleep over this home field situation. Uh they will travel and they will be loyal and they will be there and they will be ready. The Bills were my preseason pick to go to the Super Bowl and win it. And now more than ever, I'm sticking with it because I think they will be on a mission for this kid. And I know there's only so much emotion that can be beneficial. A lot of coaches and players will say that wears off once you're out of the locker room and the first couple of minutes of the game uh, go by. But I just, look, they're one of the best teams to begin with. And if if you aren't a Bills fan to begin with, and you're, you know, really don't have a dog in the fight, is there anybody better to latch on to? Is there anybody to hit your wagon to now and root your ass off for than the Buffalo Bills? To go to and win the Super Bowl. Now I'm a Ravens fan. Um, you know I'm, I'm I'm going to tell you right now, if the Ravens wind up playing the Bills, of course I'll be rooting for the Ravens, but I'm not going to be you know raving mad if if, if they lose to the Bills. Uh, I have no problem with the Buffalo Bills, you know, running the table, winning the Super Bowl, and hoping this player will continue to improve and have the joy of seeing his team be victorious and for a city that's gone through some really tough times and it's some tough luck, and you know keeps on, you know, like a Timex, <laughs> they keep, they take a licking and they keep on ticking. Uh, it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be tough not to root for the city of Buffalo and then the, those players and those coaches, and obviously for this kid.
0: And the last non-football note to make: the outpouring, being as incredible it was from the fans the stories that we heard on TV and on radio from sports media about their feelings on the situation, different examples they can share have been phenomenal for the most part throughout the world, throughout our country. The people that you would expect to say the negative things did, you don't have to share their garbage. It's no surprise. It's out there. You don't need to share it. That's exactly what they want you to do. Just know that, what you'd expect them to say, you don't have to double check. They most likely did. But also, it's unfortunate that it takes something like this once again for all of us to come together as one united and, and to give and to be kind and etc. Try in the new year, it's still being so early, to do that without having a tragedy be the reason for it. Just do it in, in general moving forward. Use this as a stepping stone for being a better person and not needing to see something like that. Have the light switch flip on and go, oh, I should really care more about X, Y, and Z. Do it now. Don't wait for something like this to happen. Anyway, now we wonder what happens in football. What happens with that game? It's been canceled by the NFL and rightly so. So now they have to come up with solutions how do they decide the rest of the way how the playoff scenarios will look? And it'll They're be something it. that's discussed for the next couple of days. By They're the time you out. hear this, they'll probably have a final discussion. But just based on entering week 17, the Bills were tied with the Chiefs for the best record in the AFC, although they hold the head-to-head tiebreaker. Cincinnati trailed both teams by one game, but, but would have the tie held the three-way tiebreaker. Correct. So the Bengals, now the AFC North champions beat the Chiefs in week 13, a rematch of last year's AFC championship game. So because of the canceled games, the league owners are going to vote some of the scenarios that could happen dependent on week 18 outcomes, which is if Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie, a Bills-Chiefs championship game would be in a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City lose and Baltimore wins or ties, a Bills-Chiefs championship game would be in a neutral site. If the Bills and the Chiefs both lose and Cincinnati wins, a Bills or Bengals versus Chiefs championship game will be at a neutral site. The potential neutral sites have yet to be determined. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win this weekend, the Chiefs get the buy. So
1: and lastly, that's
0: probably one of the easiest scenarios: just have them both win, get the buy done. Okay.
1: And lastly, if my Baltimore Ravens beat the Bengals on Sunday. Uh, because of the fact they will not have the opportunity to have won the division because the Bengals-Bills game could have potentially resulted in a Bengal loss and the Raven win would have resulted in the Ravens winning the division. The Ravens-Bengals matchup, uh, which will be played regardless, of whoever would have won the division because of the seedings, because the division winner would have been the three and uh, the wild card, the six. correct me if I'm wrong. The home field will be decided in the coin flip.
0: That's right.
1: The good old
0: NFL coin flip, Al. It's decided many a thing. In its lifetime in the
1: league. Because that will be a three six matchup, is that correct? Yeah. Right, because the Ravens will be eleven and six. The Bengals will be eleven and five, and the opportunity for the Ravens to have won the division at 11-6 and had the Bengals lost to the Bills and the Ravens beaten the Bengals to win the tiebreaker will not have the opportunity to take place because the game's not being played. So what they're doing is they're taking all the possibilities that could have resulted from the Bills and Bengals game being played and whatever those results prohibit because of that game not being played, they're trying to rectify that by either coin flips or neutral sites. Right.
0: And the good thing is for the three teams that we're talking about, obviously they're all getting in the postseason, which is the most important thing. Fans will obviously argue the most important thing is also getting the buy or also getting
1: home field. You're in at least. And as I said before, um, you know, I know home field is important, but they've gotten around this before, i.e. Right. Uh, 1972. But the other aspect of it to keep in mind is, irrespective of the home field, you know, it's not affecting the number of games being played. It's not affecting rest because you know, you're canceling the game. Uh, nobody's getting an advantage with an additional buy. Nobody's getting an additional week off. What I do like is that, um, you know, they're playing. They're playing these games knowing now that this game is not going to be played. Yeah. So everybody still has something to play for. The Bengals have not clinched the division. They may have by playing. Less games. But as we just said, if the Bengals lose to the Ravens, then that division is basically going to be decided by a coin flip. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So everybody has something to play for going into Saturday's games. You know, if you're Kansas City, I don't want to hear any griping. You're going to Vegas. Go in. Right. Go in. Right. And, you know, you struggled against crappy teams as it is. And you always get the home field as it is, to your credit. But you know, if you find yourself in a scenario where you know, you're know you not having the opportunity to get home field because you lost to Vegas in the last week of the season in your crappy division, I don't want to be a bitch. Uh, these unique circumstances, go to Vegas and win, which I don't think they're going to do, by the way, because uh, I think Vegas is going to be playing in their Super Bowl. They're going to be playing for all the marbles, and that's what I would do if I was Josh McDaniel. But regardless, that's for you know, a later conversation. But I-, I like the fact that they are keeping all of the games that were supposed to matter this weekend still of import versus, okay, the game's not going to be played. Cincinnati wins the division. Now, they may call them, the, I don't I don't see if, if they're going to do what we're thinking they're going to do, that I don't know how you can call them the division champ because the division champ gets home field. So you're telling us that if this gets created by Baltimore beating them, then the division champ is going to be decided by a coin flip. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: It's going to make for an interesting banner
1: at the stadium if this is how it happens. Because because you're going to call, you're going to give them the home field via coin flip. Right. But, you're probably not going to call them a division champ because they're not going to have the better record. But they're also going to have two wins against Cincinnati, and the reason they don't have the better record is Cincinnati played one less game. So it really is uh, an unusual scenario in terms of how you're going to label it, because that's going to be a unique circumstance. That's going to be the one that's decided by a coin flip uh, because it's the only one that results in a, a division title being determined. At home field, between two teams in the same division, so it's going to be very unusual uh, to as unusual, but it's just going to be curious to see if they're going to label one of these teams a division winner because the Bengals do have the better record. And the oddest part would be is if the Bengals are labeled a division winner but lose the coin flip and have to go on the road. Right.
0: I don't hate the proposals, though, which, and I don't think I've heard a lot of clapback against them either. I didn't see any way really logical on how they could have restarted this game and when.
1: Well, to me, the only the only way to do it so it was fair to the rest of the NFL would have been to finish this week and play a standalone game next week between you know, finish the game. Standalone, no NFC plays, and their their one seed winds up with an extra week off. No, none of that. To make it completely fair and even handed, for the rest of the league, you play this week and then you play a standalone game. But who's it the least fair to? Buffalo and Cincinnati, because they now are losing a week while everybody else is resting. So, in in terms of overall fairness. To the health and well-being of the players, in terms of the number of games, how often they're playing, the buys. This is the fairest way to do it because you are not putting another team at a competitive disadvantage by making them play with less rest than other teams. And with respect to, uh, you know, as we said earlier, the Bills had no interest in replaying the game. Right. And if the Bills have no interest in replaying the game with home field online, having no idea that it could be determined the way they're talking about determining it, then it's fine with me. I'm not going to make us think about it because it's, 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 you know it's their ass, not mine.
0: As far as the and, tail end of both divisions go, you've got a couple teams, quote unquote, in the hunt. The If the season ended today, they get in type teams. So far in the AFC obviously he was in Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Chargers, and Ravens. The NFC has the Eagles, 49ers, Vikings, Bucks, Cowboys, and Giants. The G Man back. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: If he's not coach of the year, there's never been one. Yeah. I agree completely. You've got I think, the- I think our preseason picks, I asked you the under was five. <laughs> four or five. And you know, before we move on, real quick yeah i'm sure the coach has a lot to do with it but let's and let me be the first to do it this guy's an nfl quarterback he's playing like a legitimate i'm not considering say top 10 but he's playing like a a, a middle of the pack nfl quarterback at the worst you know i'm mean, i don't even go into danny dimes nickname all right he's he's call him by his name all right he's, he's, a he's, he's a daniel so he's a daniel jones Danny Dimes is a little bit too what much. What do you want to call him play? Dan Jones or Daniel yeah. Jones or Danny Jones? First name and last name, please. He's playing like a legit NFL quarterback. He's making plays. You know, he's athletic. He doesn't have a lot to work with from a receiver standpoint. Don't get me wrong. It's not as bad as the Ravens. And he's got a great running back. But he's had a really solid year and has been a huge factor in them where being where they are. So he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, that coaches in front office have really put this organization back on the right track, and Brian Dable is clearly my coach of the year. No one else is close, and that's all due respect to coaches who've had terrific years, including Dan Campbell. Right? Uh, but they're still, you know, on the fringe. Giants are in. They're in, baby. Crazy. In 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 a tough division. Yeah.
0: This, In, this wasn't the year of, well, somebody's got to win it. This was not the, this was
1: not the NFC least. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, that's the NFC South. Um, so kudos to the Giants. Congratulations to the, to the Giants fans. It's been a few years. I'm not going to say long-suffering. They've had plenty of share of success, but they have been more been the last few years. So kudos to them. Great job by their coach. Great job by their quarterback. Tremendous comeback for the organization. I could not be more surprised. I could not be more wrong. Did we ever think that my NFC preseason pick for the Super Bowl, the Green Bay Packers, would be a Cinderella story? But that is exactly what Mr. Rogers and the Packers are.
0: I thought they were dead and buried. And it was fun to make those jokes after they broke our prediction hearts last year when we rolled out the red carpet for them to win the Super Bowl. And they pissed all over it instead, set it ablaze. Here they are, playing the Lions for a chance to get into the postseason
1: and and, re- and remember folks this is a Sunday night game and correct me if I'm wrong it could not matter potentially
0: correct if the Seahawks win the Lions. if the Seahawks win their game against the Rams I believe that's it for the Lions and they would just be playing to be spoiler which Dan Campbell's going to have his team fired up no matter what happens it doesn't matter if they're in or out he's gonna go for the kneecaps as he likes to say and bite them off. But I think if the Seahawks win, that's it for the lions.
1: And just because that's it for the lions, as you said, he'll have them fired up and it's time for us to stop. And you know, whether you like him or don't like him, and, you know, I went off on him. I defended him time and time and time and time again until the, anti-vax until the misinformation and, you know, the, the yes, I, I'm, uh, I've am i been immunized. Right? Not vaccinated, but immunized. Uh, that fiasco, that's when I ripped him a new asshole. But the point is this. We're not sure what we're going to get anymore with Mr. Rogers because of you know, our constant faith in him to win these home playoff games the disappointments the last few years, and now obviously he's been hurt. They got off to a 3 and one start, fell on their face. They struggled. He has struggled mightily at times. Even in this winning streak, this is not the Rodgers of, you know, 25 for 32 for 350 and three touchdowns.
0: Oh, turn around and hand the ball off and let's hope for the best. That's how they've been winning.
1: So, and they do have an excellent running game. And their defense has improved. So this to me is by no means with or without the playoffs being on the line for Detroit is by no means at Audi. Uh, I'm rooting for the Packers because I'd like to see them make it. I won't be heartbroken if they don't make it. Uh, But it's the, the, the confidence level just because they won four in a row for me in the Packers and in the quarterback are not there as they've been, in years gone by, for obvious reasons, because he is clearly not—and I don't think he's eroded, eroded drastically. I think he's been playing hurt all year. And you know, they're struggling with the new receivers. They've struggled. The communication level has not been there. They're getting there, but the point is, you can't have the same confidence uh, in, in Mr. Rogers and the Packers as a group, even though the game is at home, where they used to be invincible. It, you just can't have it. And Detroit has shown they can beat anybody with that offense. They can lose to anybody as they have done, and they can beat anybody as they have done. So that makes for a wildly interesting Sunday night game. And, um, you know, once that's over, the NFC will be set. On the AFC with the Steelers uh, beating my Ravens in the prevent offense with another gag job late on Sunday night are somehow some still alive. Everybody's favorite coach, Mike Tomlin, uh, is still trying to overcome the potential first losing season, which he's dodged bullets left and right. And now they play Cleveland to end the season. Uh, if they win, and uh, New England loses uh, to the Bills, which we probably expect to happen, but it's not a sure thing. And the Dolphins lose to the Jets, which who knows, because the Jets have fallen on their faces. And is Bob Greasy coming back to play quarterback for the Dolphins? Who who, who did they just sign today? (laughs) Dan Marino? Is he coming back? So, you know, you don't know with the Dolphins, uh, with Tua out and with Teddy Bridgewater out, and the Jets haven't won a game, you know, in forever. They have fallen hopelessly out of the playoffs after a great start. And uh, you know, Pittsburgh has got a shot. It's got a shot. What what needs to happen is a not a remote possibility. It's a distinct possibility. The, the Jets could find a way to garner some offense. Dolphins have been struggling, obviously. Mike Glennon was and, your answer, by the way, for
0: whom they signed today. I'm sorry? Mike Glennon was the answer. The mad,
1: second coming – the, the
0: – the, the, Quarterback version of the Mad Stork. The longest okay. neck, I think, in NFL history, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so what's going to happen with the Dolphins and the Jets? What's going to happen with the Bills and the Pats? All have impact on the Steelers, but they have to take care of business first and beat the Browns. because so they're still alive. But you know, obviously, I'm rooting against the Steelers. Of course, in any way, shape, Of course <laughs> What I would like to see happen is, is for Raw. You know, obviously I want the Bills to win. And then I guess I'd have to root for, uh, you know, the, the Browns to either beat the Steelers or, or the Fish to beat the Jets. So the Fish get in. And, you know, the, the Fish were looking, were, were they not eating too? They lost six straight, correct?
0: Yeah, it hasn't been great, to say the least. This would be uh, with the worst collapse in their franchise history, and I'm not sure where it would stand in the league. Not great
1: from what they, uh, from another- what
0: they were trying to do.
1: With another slide rule looking coach, yeah, you know, uh, young Mike who looks like you know he worked for Apple, um,
0: who apparently is potentially on the hot seat. Why? Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> he lost he his quarterback. Six, what are you gonna do? And he, he lost six, his other quarterback. Yeah, you know, they just they expect got, these nerds to figure it out. Mike McDaniel's yeah. not getting any credit. No response. Well,
1: they fired. They, they, they fired Brian Flores, didn't they?
0: They did. They wasted no time gotcha. with that. Yeah, yep. it'll be interesting in the AFC. I mean, I, I love the Jaguars to get in, obviously, just for the story and, and obviously covering the AFC years ago with Trevor Lawrence's career. That would be great. The other spot, whatever. Whatever helps the Ravens out, I'll pull for you. And I don't think anybody outside of Wisconsin and the Pat McAfee show is going to be not pulling for the Lions, hoping that the Seahawks don't win before that so they have a chance to get in themselves. But it'll be exciting. And that's what we've talked about throughout the whole season was getting to the end and having new faces, new fan bases, and excitement. And we're going to get it. It should
1: should be a very interesting weekend. And and let's close up with what was a tremendous, we really need to touch on it, uh, a a great day of college football, uh, which is going to lead us up to a tremendous championship game. But, you know you talked about Pat McAfee, just touching on him quickly. you know, I texted Mike Meltzer. this is the national championship final four. He's you know on in the pregame for his opinion. I mean Pat, could you wear a shirt for once? Just once, okay? You know everything has to be you know the 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 get, you know, the, the the muscle shirt nonstop. You can't for once you put on a collared shirt for the occasion. You don't have to put on a tie, but but how about a collared shirt and a jacket instead of that stupid shirt with with the medallions hanging out where you look like a horse's ass? You know, I texted Meltzer and then you know, Meltzer texted me back. and goes, "That's his uh, that's his style or whatever." And and you know, I said, "Where do where do I find that? Do I just go to search the idiot collection so I can buy that clothesline?" Because he looks like a horse's ass. I mean, put something on. Show a little, show a little understanding of the moment here, in terms of what you're covering. All right, you're not at a supermarket opening, for Christ's sakes. You know, you're not doing your podcast. This is, and I understand you've done, you know, the pre games before, but this is the Final Four, man. This is the gold standard of NCAA college football. You know, show a little respect for what you're, you're know, doing, the where you are in the, in the job. A pecking order here, and look like a professional instead of some you know some tough guy. All right? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You know, Pat the punter, as I call him, put on a shirt, Pat. That's his style, or lack thereof. But what we saw was extraordinary. These games usually are no good. Game one was certainly not a work of art to say the least. It was incredibly sloppily played by both teams, but especially Michigan who we both thought would win. I believe, if memory serves me correct, I did pick both dogs to cover, though. You did? But uh, Michigan shot themselves in the foot. J.G. McCarthy, two pick sixes. A fumble at the one-yard line after one of the worst calls in the history of organized sports when somehow, someway, they reversed a Michigan touchdown reception where the receiver may have been bobbling the ball as his butt hit the ground which if he caught it there, okay, I could see her on the half-yard line because the college rules, because he wasn't touched. But he didn't have control of the ball until he was clearly in the end zone. How that wasn't a touchdown, I have no idea. They put it at the one-yard line, and, of course, Michigan fumbles on the next play, and they get no points there. They get no points on their first drive where they ran an asinine Philly special, which had no opportunity of success. Two pick-sixes. Um... It was just a nightmare, and yet there they were, down one score, with a third and ten for TCU. And lo and behold, uh, you know, they blitz when they probably shouldn't have, and little toss out to Quentin Johnson, Johnson, excuse me, my guy, the beast, an absolute monster. After the catch, long, tall, fast, strong. Catches a little pass to the outside against the blitz. Makes one guy miss. Off to the races. Uh, Michigan did come back and score and got the stop, but only with about 50 seconds to go and no timeouts. And they could not uh, pull the rabbit out of hit there. So TCU stuns Michigan. And they are playing for the national title. And they are playing the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. Give me your synopsis of that game, which was a thriller and ended literally at, depending upon what countdown you were looking at and how you want to term the the end of the game. Uh, for our purposes, the game ended, I believe, two to three seconds before the stroke of midnight when that missed field goal hit the ground.
0: First of all, I'm trying to tell you people about TCU for most of the season. If you believe in the phrase, know a lot about a little or a little about a lot, what always confuses me about college football fans is even if you're not watching the Big 12 or you don't care about the Big 12 or you don't think they match with the SEC or the Big 10, you would think you would at least know about its best team just to kind of make yourself a little bit more well-rounded. Oklahoma's not that anymore. That used to be an easy one to cross off. There was a time Texas was, that was an easy one to cross off. If you're still looking at Oklahoma and Texas for the two teams, you should know or care about. Do not. Plus they are soon leaving the team this year was TCU. Just turn on a couple of games. Take a look at the roster. When Max Duggan, their quarterback is sitting in New York for the Heisman and finishes as a runner up. Maybe take a look at some of his highlights.
1: And by the way, familiar the team just to interject. Don't stop looking. Because so far, they've got three transfers coming in from where? Alabama. So yes, they're going to lose a lot of players, but they ain't going anywhere.
0: Winning does a lot of help with that.
1: And the narrative going into
0: that game against Michigan, where they'll be more physical than TCU, they've got the better line, they're going to run it down their throats, TCU can't match with them, how the turntables, to quote the office, because... It didn't take longer than a couple drives to see the TCU not only was as physical as Michigan, but more so than Michigan. The line was more physical and they ran it down their throats. So for this Georgia game now where the narrative is becoming, well, they should just be happy. They got there. They're playing with house money. They'll never be able to match the Georgia speed, which is more than the Michigan speed is. Why not? Just take a step back and think maybe this is a deserving team to be in the national championship game. And the 13 and a half spread out that they threw on this game when both ended after midnight in 2023, mind you, as you said, is preposterous. Have some class and some pride in yourself. 13 and a half. And some people are saying that's too low to be three touchdowns. Watch the fucking games, man. They didn't lose their star quarterback or wide receiver. They might not have their running back. We'll see. But the guy that had to play for him ran for 150 yards. Aren't you watching the games? There was only two on Saturday. You were probably asleep for the end of the second one. Be honest, everyone. You could watch the first game. Take a step away from the New Year's Eve party and just put a little respect on Uh, TCU's name.
1: Now, How about if you calm down for a second? Mr. Big 12, (laughs) and take a step back and realize that, yes, they won. They were the better team, and they deserve to win. But Michigan gave up two interceptions for touchdowns, didn't score when they had first and goal from the one after the touchdown was taken away, and didn't score when they had the ball fourth and goal from the two they easily could have lost that game by more than that spread because some of those big plays came into fruition because Michigan felt they were forced to blitz to try and make things happen and to cause turnovers cause mistakes which may not have been the case had Michigan not thrown two pick sixes and not not scored on a horrible call and then fumbled at the one yard line after the horrible call So in terms of the level of the two teams, if not for some very, let's call them freakish, unusual circumstances, uh, Michigan could have won that game by two touchdowns. They did not. TCU was the better team. TCU made more big plays. They made less mistakes and they deserved to win. They were the better team but you could see why the line was what it was. Sure. Mr. Mr. Grande 12.
0: You can counter okay? with. So calm down. Max, calm down. Max Duggins, two interceptions that he threw were both tipped. The fumble at the end of the third quarter with two seconds left when they're just trying to run the clock out by DeMarcado. You never see that happen. They quickly scored after that. So Michigan had its lucky plays or bounces go their way. Okay, I this, will this, say this, that this, touchdown this, was absolutely ridiculous
1: for them. And and that was after, that was after one of the interceptions, by the way. Correct. So that interception led to no points.
0: Now that, that call on first and goal, taking TCU for granted early in the first quarter, like Jim Harbaugh did hilarious Philly specials, handing it to some dog instead of their main guy at the goal line, trying to get cute. What are you doing, man? Just score points. Be the bigger team. What are you afraid of? Very curious. And also, I understand that this would happen because you could get the sense, and rightly so, let's be honest, the broadcast expected Michigan to perform well and to eventually win the game. That's why when that touchdown didn't happen and Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge thought it was a touchdown and complained and complained. We can't believe it. We go to the replay guy. He can't believe it. So you knew you were going to see it and hear it 10 other times throughout the game, which you did.
1: I'm going to defend Sean McDonough because Sean McDonough, first of all, obviously is another one in a long line of great Syracuse graduates to go on to fabulous broadcasting careers, new school as he does refer to Syracuse as the Harvard of central New York and properly. So, but Sean McDonough, one of the reasons I love him so much is because he never will hesitate, and I think that's one of the reasons uh, ABC can't him for Monday Night Football. He will never hesitate to criticize the officials, whether he's doing college basketball, which he's tremendous at, Major League Baseball, which he's terrific at, or football, college, or pro, he will never hesitate to criticize officials.
0: Or his never. own team, which was great this past season. Correct. <laughs> and he was Riventino for his decision-making for a timeout call. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that. It was just funny kind of knowing it was coming. And then the storyline that they wanted to push for J.J. McCarthy's parents, his girlfriend, how they had to get to the game and the trials and tribulations driving there. After this dude threw two pick sixes. You don't have to continue with what's on the script. It's okay to go in the other direction and think, wow, we didn't realize TCU would be at this point in the game. Maybe we should find Max Duggan's parents or Amari DiMarcado's parents. Max Duggan's father, who has connections to all sorts of people in the air raid and different stories around college. Maybe talk to him for a second. They kept going to these parents play after play. Let's relax. J.J. McCarthy just looked up to his mom and dad and we could see him mouth. We're not losing this game. Yeah, how the fuck did that go, J.J.? Going to the press conference, answering one question in 20 seconds and leaving like you're fucking Tim Tebow. Oh, we'll exactly. remember this loss. You doing scumbag. This, Who do you think his, you are?
1: Doing as Tim Tebow. How many has been trophies and national titles? You Sit kid? there
0: and answer the questions, dude. <laughs> you're some tough guy. Oh, we'll remember this one. We'll be back. Okay. Why don't you have your parents come down and answer your questions? If they wanted to be on TV so bad, they could talk for you instead. Anyway, we were correcting our predictions, taking the spreads. What are you thinking for Monday?
1: Before we get to that. Actually, you're right.
0: How did, how did this happen for, in this Georgia game? Because I thought Ohio State, CJ Stroud, couldn't have played better.
1: I, first of all... I, Georgia came back early, but once Ohio State had the two touchdown lead for a fourth quarter, I was like, "This game's over." Yeah, stats is better no they, or not. There's, there, there's no way they're coming back from this. Yeah, they may score again, but I don't know if they're going to be able to. They can't stop these guys. That's not because Ohio State was running the football, because Stroud's terrific. Uh, he was fabulous. Obviously, he scrambled in big spots. For wonderful losing Marvin Harrison Jr. did hurt them, I do believe. But once again, the Ohio State defense in a big spot spits the bit. They simply could not get it done. And Kirby Smart may have called the greatest timeout in certainly in recent memory in college football to, you know, Preclude the the uh, fake punt from taking place, which they would have got a first down, and their quarterback, who is, you know, he's he's that he's that he's that ultimate college quarterback. Is he going to play a down of pro football? He probably you know uh, he'll get drafted somewhere, and maybe he'll play a little bit, but this is the guy you know he's the little engine that could. He finds a way to beat you. Stetson Bennett, what is it? Stetson Bennett the 12th, whatever it is. How many Roman Numerals in his name. But the point is, you know, walk on. Undefeated last year until they get smoked and he gets embarrassed in the SEC title game by Alabama. Then he plays great in the postseason. Been terrific all year. Throws a big pick in this game. But comes fighting back. Comes fighting back. Makes a couple bad throws. Then down the stretch, makes a couple the ball he threw down the middle on the last drive against pressure that he threaded the needle on, which was a rocket. And then he comes right back with a touch throw for the touchdown. And they did this, remember, with very little contribution from their all-world tight end, who everybody thinks is going to be a first-round draft pick um, as soon as he's ready to go. And their other big tight end who got hurt, because they don't have the mercurial wide receivers and game breakers, but they came up big when necessary. And then they take the lead. Stroud scrambles them down to a legitimate field goal attempt. You got a 50-yarder to go to the national title game. I don't know about you. I thought the kid was going to make it.
0: Timeout first, and now the clock is ticking on the new year. Do you change the channel from Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton to the game? I never what even thought <laughs> about
1: it. Never even thought about it. I can't believe
0: they didn't have a ticker on the side of the screen somewhere. To just. Glad, that, like they, glad that they didn't. Glad that
1: they didn't. Aaron Judge come screens. in
0: to take, take away the moment again.
1: And I thought it was hysterical that as it was winding down, out of nowhere, Kirk Herbstreet just realized it was almost midnight and says, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but didn't he say, it's 30 seconds to midnight? Yeah. I just realized, he's like, holy crap. And, and I didn't even realize. People said
0: at the game, no one realized it either. Like there wasn't a eruption of yeah, like no, happy you, were mesmerized.
1: you couldn't take your eyes off it. I had no idea. And I thought the kid was going to make the kick. I really did. And even though I was rooting for Georgia, Unless I have a massive rooting interest in these things, which wasn't huge there, I always feel terrible for college kickers. Uh, unless it's a team like I despise or I might not like the particular kicker, I, I really feel bad when college kickers miss big kicks. Uh, pros, you know, it's a pro. He'll be back. It's pro. But you feel bad for the college guys. And that one never had a chance. Never had a chance. Never, and you don't see that very often, you know, with the college kids at the, at the, you know, the big programs. Yeah, they miss, but you usually don't see them miss that badly. The push one, the pull. He, this one, you know, soon as it left his foot.
0: Soon as it left his foot, and it, it's a complete opposite of effect of what happened with Jake Moody on Michigan. Michigan just trying to get it to six at the end of the half. He's kicking a fifty-nine yard field goal. Sonny Dykes calls timeout to ice him. He takes the practice kick, quote-unquote, misses it, but now he at least has that in his mind of like, okay, I know what I have to do for this one. Drills the real-life one. Absolutely drilled it. He's a great kicker. I couldn't believe he was calling timeout to ice him from that yep. distance. Yep. complete opposite of this kick that it wasn't the even The last gross. thing
1: I want to do is give a 60-yard kick a you know, uh, uh, shot of practice.
0: Yeah, and good for him for doing it because the, the whistle blew and – he could have just stopped, but he kept going. I mean, what are they going to do? Run out and take the ball away from the holder? Great on him. No, they, all, they, all, they, always,
1: they always go right through. They always they always finish the kick. The highs and lows of
0: kickers for both those games. I mean, if you're going to miss, I guess, in that instance, just, just miss. There was just no blast. doink. There was no yeah. whatever for Ohio State to have to remember. Like, oh, can you believe he hit the upright or he was just short? This one was just, we could change the channel right away.
1: And the defense just spit the bit. They couldn't yeah. stop Georgia when it counted. And uh, what's, the, what's the current spread on this one now? We'll go to the official
0: ESPN page and see what they have it at. It opened at 13 and a half the night of. I hammered that right away. Just on principle. 13 and a half for a national championship game. Just have some pride. As of now, it's dropped a point to 12 and a half. The over-under is surprisingly high at 62 and a half. I think I'll go under that too.
1: So after twelve and what a half. You saw, after, after what you saw with Georgia and Ohio State, that wasn't exactly a 14-10 game.
0: True. And I don't know whether that's just two great quarterbacks going at it. If, I mean, the Georgia defense always gets talked about for how good it was, right? And we thought, wow, what happened? They're going to lose this game and get blown out in fashion doing it. Well, they made the stops when they needed to. I'm going to lean the under and I will take TCU to cover. And just because working for the big 12 as a producer, as a Homer, I mean, what's going to happen if I take TCU to win it all and they don't nothing at this point, you might as well just go out and win the whole damn thing. That's been their what's narrative. The, what's might as what's well. the total again? 62 and a half.
1: I think I'm going to go under as well, and I am going to say uh, Georgia 38, TCU 20.
0: I mean, this is this is a game that everyone's waiting for the ball to drop. No pun intended, on TCU. <laughs> Like, this can't possibly keep happening, and Georgia's going to just be Georgia.
1: I think the TCU, I'm not going to say, you know, Cinderella story comes to it, because they're really good. But they got a lot of breaks against Michigan. I don't think Georgia will make nearly those number of mistakes. And I think Georgia will do a better job at minimizing. I mean, they had some massive pick plays. Yeah, for scores. I mean, obviously the Quentin Johnston touchdown and what was that, a 70-yard touchdown run? He was 76. 77? Marco DeMarcado
0: was 67 yards to the okay. one and then Duggan just ran it in. They Now they I, run I, that play, remember, against Kansas State. They handed it off twice at the one and got stuffed. <laughs> now they just have the backup tight end come and basically just carry Max Duggan the yard. It's incredible I, to watch.
1: I don't think you're going to see those kind of big plays given up by the Georgia defense. And I think Georgia will be, you know, psyched and ready and prepared. And I like their experience also. I think that's important. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to say Georgia wins and covers and the game goes slightly under, but my better plays here is Georgia laying the wood versus the under.
0: I think both teams are, really enjoying their storylines in the locker room, being able to say that we played nowhere near our best game. We could obviously play better on both sides. Here's where we made mistakes. And then they can watch the opponents and say, look at what they've done wrong. Let's exploit those things.
1: And if Kirby Smart wins his second in a row, this is a program you and I both have been very critical of him over the years, the inability to win the big game. You know, blowing the big leagues, you know, the, the fake punt that everybody in the building knew was coming. You know, it, it, your own forty-five or so. You know, against Alabama, which was like grasping at straws. And that just, fake punt play walked so that his timeout before the punt
0: that he called could run. Al, see, he was just playing the long game for this Ohio State game.
1: Things have a way of coming around, and you know, as I said earlier. In the season, um, it is Kirby Smart's world right now, and everybody else is playing it. Yeah, let's see if he can finish it off.
0: Two incredible days slash nights of football coming with the NFL regular season ending and the college football season and national championship ending as well. And thank goodness the black cloud that was formed over football is starting to turn grayer and grayer, and we're getting to a better lifting a news. little bit
1: and lifting a little bit. Hopefully, Hopefully that continues will continue to come. Yep.
0: Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again
1: next week. Folks From my partner, the great John tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, AKA alpha white Plains, say a prayer for young DeMar Hamlin, that his recovery continues to be a speedy uh, one for him and his teammates. And we're going to see him up and around soon, which will be a huge inspiration and just as good a news as we could possibly get and have a great sports weekend. Everybody.
0: We'll be back at 8 PM Eastern time here on sports radio America. You can listen at SportsRadioAmerica.com and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the tune in app by searching for sports radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London bridge. Thanks again for listening.